Okay. Nim- right. Nimbies. Nimbies are bastards and we need to build more houses. <laughs> is what I got from Just that. Just fuck off, I think you said before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Welcome to the Great Unraveling Podcast. My name's Matt, and I make this show with my good friend, political commentator Ben Kelly. Hello. This is a show about current affairs and social issues, told from the point of view of two fed-up nearly middle-aged dads wrestling with our pandemic-tainted lives and unraveling minds. Each fortnight, Ben has a subject for discussion. We discuss it before then bollocking on about other shit. Please enjoy. Hello, Ben. How you doing? I'm alright, thank you, Matt. How are you? What were you just pulling out of your mouth there? Chewing gum. Horrible. I just realised I was oh, chewing gum. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Doctor. Because it's disgusting. But I thought probably a bad idea to be chewing gum while talking into a microphone. So yeah, that was horrible. The sound of people eating. Yeah, on microphones exactly. Is exactly. Disgusting. Yes. Hence. So. Um, how are you? How are you today? How are you? Doing well. Just been vaccinated. Just got back. So. Oh wow. Yeah. Happy about go. that. Cool. What are we talking about today? Talking about the housing crisis, and we've got uh, Anya Martin, research manager. She's a director of uh, Priced Out UK, which is a campaign for affordable housing, and an advisor for London Yimby, as in, yes, in my backyard. And ah, welcome, Anya. Thank you. We're going to get into that, and we've got a monologue, a guest monologue today from uh, Christian Nemitz of uh, the Institute of Economic Affairs, who's going to sum up the issue a little bit for us. Nice. Is that we're gonna place to listen to that now? Yes, yeah, 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 obviously. Yeah, that was leading into that. Thank you, Matt. Great. past 25 years, average house prices in OECD countries have gone up by around 60% after inflation. In the Eurozone, they've gone up by around 50%. In Britain, they have gone up by as much as 180%. They have almost tripled, in other words. That's obviously a colossal difference. It means that Britain has become one of the most expensive places in the world to live. Why has this happened here, when it hasn't happened elsewhere? What is so different about Britain? The answer is nothing. And that's the most frustrating thing about the housing crisis. It is an entirely self-imposed, self-inflicted, homegrown problem. We could solve this problem pretty much overnight, if we wanted to. We could have an abundant supply of easily affordable, spacious, modern, high-quality housing everywhere in the country, if we wanted to. I know that in policy debates, you're supposed to say things like, it's a very complex issue, and there are no simple solutions to this. Well, 
It's not a complex issue and there are simple solutions. It has become fashionable to pretend that housing is completely unlike any other good in the economy. That notions of supply and demand are too simplistic and that you need at least three PhDs before you can even begin to understand the problem. You don't. Don't listen to the snake oil salesman. The issue is simple because housing is ultimately pretty much like any other good. We don't constantly read about a beer crisis or a restaurant crisis or an iPhone crisis or a car crisis. In those sectors, as in many others, we simply allow supply to meet demand. There are lots of people who want to buy those goods. There are lots of people who look for opportunities to make some money. And you make money by providing things that other people want to buy. Simple as that. So why does this process not work in housing when it works at least okay in most other areas? Because we don't allow it to happen. That's why. Housing policy in Britain revolves around the sensitivities of people who are already well housed and who don't like the sight of houses other than their own. It is dominated by people who got on the housing ladder in time and who now use their political muscle to pull up the drawbridge. NIMBYs enjoyed all the opportunities of a better functioning housing market in the past and now deny those opportunities to people who arrived a little bit later. That is the problem in a nutshell, and if you want to solve it, you need to be prepared to pick a fight with the NIMBYs. Sir, let's get into it. This this is a, I think me and Matt both agree this is a subject that we are very interested in but probably don't know as much as we'd like to know about it. So that's why we asked you on. Mm-hmm. Um, if I quote you, which I thought was a little bit similar to the the monologue we, li- we listened to, you read a blog of yours. Let's face it, we as a country have royally, royally screwed up on housing. Decades of bad policy, bad ideas and sometimes even bad faith have led us to one of the worst housing crises in Europe. Doesn't sound great, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. And the, it, and it's quite remarkable. I mean, let me, you know, I've got to check my privilege, as Matt has asked me to before, because I do own a house. <laughs> and it is quite weird how you just sit La-dee-da. there and it just increases in value and, if, and it will just increase in value. And you're not even worried about it not increasing in value because you know that just they're not really going to do anything about the housing crisis. <laughs> if that's what it feels like. Um, so... And yeah, I was just wondering what what are the what are the main solutions here to the to a problem that seems sim, see, does seem simple, like it, you know, build more houses. I mean, I say sometimes I tweet it and think, oh yeah, that's clever because yeah, I think <laughs> I think that. But they, you know, what does it mean really? How what are the obstacles? Yeah, it's um, I mean, in a sense, and and I think is very much what Christian said in his in his monologue is it is actually simple we do just need to build more houses and certainly in my view the, the main barrier to that is the planning system 
So to kind of set it in a historical context, in the early part of the 20th century, um, government decided to nationalise development rights, meaning that you no longer had a right to build housing if you wanted to, if you own the land. You had to go through a permissioning process. Um, and initially, you know, that's designed for relatively sensible reasons of presenting, you know, preventing the negative externalities um, or the negative impacts of building new uh, things around people's homes. For instance, the impact on light or um, just generally the impact on amenity uh, that other people experience. Um, but the problem is it's been kind of weaponized to prevent housing at all. And it's now left us in this situation where we have one of the worst um, kind of supply response of housing mm. to um, increasing prices in any of the kind of comparable European countries um, really across the developed world. We really are one of the worst for it. And Where do we have – sorry, just to jump in there. Is, the, is Part of the issue is that there's a pattern here where – people don't want housing built in the area where they already own houses and then they usually will then have an MP on their side because they don't want to annoy their constituents mm -hmm. so it's, it's an almost intractable issue there and I've read I've did have, take some interest in this subject a couple of years ago and did a little bit of research went to a few events and uh, I went to an event by uh, Create Streets, do you, do you know them? And just had some ideas about trying to get community buy-in, you know, for people to design, the, to build the kind of houses that people would like to be built in their areas. But, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if that's easier said than said than done. But what, what, how do you turn, how do you turn, turn this kind of, this pattern around? Um, I think there's probably a lot of things you could do. So Create Streets is obviously focused on the kind of design side of buildings. You know, how can we make them look aesthetically pleasing? Because obviously one of the challenges that people often raise is that they don't like these ugly new buildings popping up near them. So that's kind of one element is that you can you can set design rules for what buildings should look like. And, um, you know, you can make that an established rule in advance rather than having what we currently have which is where you might have a local plan which sets these design rules. Um, but then each and every individual application still goes through this discretionary process. So even if it meets all of the criteria in the local plan, it can still be rejected. And that's kind of really what distinguishes our system from other countries, um, where generally if you meet the, the criteria set out by your local authority, then you have a right to build. Um, here, it doesn't really work like that. You still have to go through this political process, you know. It's, it's just it's just difficult to understand as well when you get uh, governments with very strong majorities that still don't seem to drive it drive drive the necessary reforms through. I mean, I don't know what merit really, to be honest, what the current proposals have. But it's, it's, is, do you think as well? Can I get your opinion on on social housing as well? Because from the left, that's the that's the uh, general point of view of trying to trying to build more social houses to fill the gap or is it just a mix is it you know some kind of hybrid system yeah, we need here i think we need a mixture of of social housing and market housing um and i think that's i guess you know typical centrist but i think the solution is kind of in the middle we do need to liberalize planning we do need mm. to allow people to build and in, and build market housing because plenty of people want market housing you can see there's enormous unmet de demand for it um, but also social housing can work as a part of that mixture, firstly, because 
it actually allows you to build out sites faster. So sites that have a mixture of market homes and social housing will actually develop faster because they don't have the same, you know, developers will only build as fast as they can sell units typically, but that doesn't, mm-hmm. that doesn't work like that when you have social. So there's quite a lot of evidence that sites that have a mixture of 10 years develop faster um, and obviously meets a range of need rather than just um, at one end of the spectrum. What would your opinion be on the um, right to buy a council house? Yeah, it's. I think it's a kind of... I mean, first of all, it's one of the most popular housing policies that any government well, has yeah. implemented. Yeah. So it's, people certainly like it because they want to own and they like... I mean, they get a big discount on it, so why wouldn't you like it? Um, but as you say, it kind of... It, it permanently removes social housing out of the availability. So that means councils have fewer options for dealing with households in need. Um I don't think right to buy has to be a bad thing because you get people on the left that say it's totally bad. We should never have done it. We Mm. we want them all to be social housing. And then obviously you get people on the right who tend to say we should sell all of it. You know, if people want that housing, let them. Um, It wouldn't be a problem if we just replaced those homes. If we just Mm. built more homes and then we had this, um, you know, it's essentially a subsidy for people to enter home ownership. It could be a really useful way of getting people on the lower end of the income scale into home ownership when they otherwise would not have been able to afford it. Um, The problem is, is when you're kind of just selling homes off and you don't replace them, then Mm. it takes away your options for dealing with the the real sharp end of housing need. Um, And a lot of them end up in the hands of landlords anyway. Um, yeah, although I sometimes think that, you know, the government's not necessarily that great a landlord either sometimes, you know, if kind of governments that allow buildings to be built that are highly flammable <laughs> don't necessarily make the best landlords either. Yeah, indeed. You know? Well, I think, and again, I mean, I feel like a, I'm a broken record, really. I just keep going back to the same issue. But like part of the reason that landlords can be so poor is because they have such they have so little competition. Um, And you see in other countries like Japan, they do have um, state owned properties, but they're actually a competitor with the private market because they build so many homes. The private market uh, rents are actually really low anyway, and they just directly compete with each other. And, you know, the product that you get is far better. I've I've heard Japan Mm. cited a lot, actually. And um, why, why can't we just do it? Why can't we just see that there is a serious problem here and do something about it? One of the, I think one of the main challenges that I face, certainly trying to raise this issue, is that a lot of people aren't aware it is an issue because mm. we, we are in a country where, what is it, 65 70% of households own their own homes and they mm, are yeah. almost totally insulated from the problem of high rents and high house prices because... You know, guilty as charged. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's uh, I often feel people are really surprised, even people within the housing sector, when I tell them about the kind of experiences that I've had as a renter that my friends are having right now. They didn't even realize it was that bad. They didn't even realize it was that expensive. Um, and oh, it- I hated it. God, I hated it. Yeah. I hated renting. I hate having to deal with that. I mean, yeah, to, to be fair, I did have some very nice landlords, but, you know, some absolute shysters as well and oh mm-hmm. god and w- w- one of the worst ones actually was when um i moved into a house that was renting off uh the parents of a 
my my wife at the time that was friends with someone, and the state of the house when we moved in was just disgusting, and it was infested with mice, and I couldn't believe it. And then, then we, when we moved to Leeds, we had to deal with the guy who was re- really just very, very, la- you know, slack. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> although actually, I've got to speak up for a, a Jordy a Jordy landlord I had while I was in Hull, who would basically fathered me throughout a, a year of living living there yeah he was so nice he actually i couldn't get my sofa into there because it was like a strange um angle he literally helped me carry one like nearly half a mile from a shop to get it you know get a, get a new one for me so you know it was a very strange guy but yeah, yeah. but you said you hear like the, the west ones you see the horror stories i see on the internet the places you, the places people live in london you know yeah it's just you you get absolutely insane stories. I mean, this was how I got interested in the issue in the first place when I was a student and I just had some horrendous landlords. Um, and then I got a job working as a housing advisor um, at a university. And the, the things that people would just come in and say, like their ceiling had collapsed on them and the landlord was refusing to even come around and look at it. And uh, one student came in one day um, with a box, a Tupperware box full of slugs and said that they were just coming into her kitchen and all over her counters, and mm, nice. <laughs> nice. the landlord wasn't picking up the phone. And <laughs> <laughs> it just reminded me of um, a really weird experience, actually, I had when I, felt, when I first moved to London. So a friend, me and a friend moved to London, but I, I went down there first and was staying with family, um, while, and I tried to find us a flat. And, yeah, you're negotiating all of these, like, really weird, like, kind of landlords... But yeah, extortionate prices to live in like little like hovels, and and obviously you're moving to London, so it's exciting. Um, <laughs> so you're actually your like level of acceptance is pretty like high. Um, I went around to see that it was this guy, and he kind of let me into his house. But it was all the the house was kind of like half. It seemed like just like half built. It was kind of like all falling apart, <laughs> and there was a bedroom, but it was for two people. The two, two, the, the place was like advertised for two people. I was like, okay, so there's the one bedroom. Where's the other bedroom? And the other bedroom was, it was basically like a, it was, it, it was, it was just off the kitchen, like a big cupboard, <laughs> and it just had like some, like some pallets on the floor and a bed in it, in it, and a curtain yeah. between the that cupboard and me the of kitchen. A place I was shown once, yeah, a place that was just like, yeah. a, a, and he was just like, your... yeah. So the you and your mate stays in there, and you stay in the in the bedroom, like then yeah. that's and I'll charge you both rent. Like, oh, okay. And I was actually going to move in. <laughs> That's the mad thing. But he, he ended up, he, he wouldn't accept us because we weren't artists. I mean, this is a fucking weird thing. He, he, wanted, he wanted, like, art students. And we weren't art students. We were going to, like, work for a living and pay us pay rent to him and that's, that's not what he wanted strange but he expected one of us to sleep in this fucking cupboard wow oh, man. yeah you do you do you do kind of did yeah, he say why he wanted art stuff. students no he didn't really no no he was Quite strange weird, isn't it? back to yeah. the back to the subject, back to the subject. <laughs> i just want to no no that's fine i just wanted to ask another thing as well um your opinion on the the green belt uh sort of laws as they are now mm-hmm. Do you believe they mm. needed any kind of reform, or you know, is that is that are they? You do, do you, you know? I've read things about you know from generally coming from the right about how parts of it are basically just wasteland mm. and it's not all, you know, beauty spots. Yeah. So I just wondered what your opinion was on that. Yeah, I think the green belt is one of the major problems facing 
London and indeed other cities actually also have green belts. Um, it's a totally arbitrary restraint. I think green belt is a bit of a misleading term because actually, as you've said, a lot of it isn't necessarily green. It includes previously developed lands. It includes mm. petrol stations and things like that. Um, and it's mm. li literally its purpose. And it was designed to contain London to stop it expanding um, with the intent of building new cities uh, outside of that belt. Um, and this was, you know, in the kind of mid 20th century when they were imagining this new utopia where everyone would have cars and everyone would be able to drive from these kind of satellite cities into London. The new towns, uh, some of them were developed and then they stopped developing them. Um, and all it does is kind of serve to constrain London in a totally, purely just to stop London growing. And obviously the result of that is that especially when combined with the fact that we do not build very high. We have an extremely um, not dense city compared to other European capitals. Um, Just to say very innovative when, when you do travel, when I have travelled around Europe, there's so many innovative ways. That, like when I went yeah. to uh, the Netherlands and I was living in a in a, one of those, you know, apartments that were made from shipping containers mm. there was really, really it was quite weird but they were really good you know i'm not saying i don't know if that would work here but necessarily but you know lots of just just and different ways of of, of building homes it's just it's just it is just very strange so i just don't understand why we can't just it's it's purely a political decision yeah. um so, yeah, my, I have a pretty strong line on this that I think we need to totally abolish the Green Belt. There's no additional... Oh, you would have got that far, right? I see. So it's not reform, it's just... Just, just abolish just it. Not. It's totally unnecessary. The, so the kind of the actual genuinely green land, there, there of, of course, there is green land in the Green Belt. Yeah. That can be protected and often is protected under existing planning designations. Yeah, yeah. So it will be an yeah, area of natural so, yeah. beauty, a yeah. site of special scientific interest, a, you know, ancient forest, whatever... You can protect land with other designations. You right. don't need this additional one, this green belt. It's it's totally it's it's superfluous. It's it's a total, you know, it's a misleading name. I, and you know, I I think someone suggested a while ago that it should be renamed to the urban containment zone because it is. Yeah. yeah, I think that's yeah, definitely. It's but the the label given to it is incredibly misleading. Yeah, <laughs> it makes it sound like you know it's it's preserving. Green space. Yeah, yeah. that's that's the point. It's absolutely yeah. not. That's not what it's for, and it's you know it's it's used. You know, people then say, if I go and say abolish the green belt, obviously some people will that will drive them absolutely insane. You know, they think I'm talking about yeah. concreting over a beautiful ancient forest. I'm not. I've got. I, mean, a, I would a, say I definitely have like sympathy for for some sympathy for for nimbies and i think so nimbies what's that not in my backyard um and the uh, you know i think i think on the surface you can i think you can understand some of the concerns and i think yeah you guys kind of said before that there are things we could do about that but i think on you know um i think my, my, new I don't, have a bad the, reputation my for say, yeah because it would be to build and, houses that look nice they're not like all these orange fucking things. Yeah, I think that. So yeah, the design aspect is definitely bad. And, and you know, they've always got new builds. Are always like got a Tesco in them, and they, they just like look horrible often. And, um, just, yeah, and I think so the other thing, one of the big things, obviously for for well, I've got a young family, and as as does Ben. I think you know, its infrastructure doesn't always seem to come along with yeah, new builds, and that's often time. a complaint, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. like, well, you're going to bring in this new estate, but we're not going to bring in a school to accompany it, or you know, it's going to we're going to flood. 
the current yeah. schools and is, is there is that is that something that's also like how does that work in other countries um i don't know too much about how they do it but i think often what you get is the the state will act as a kind of master developer so they'll you know acquire a large site and then they'll parcel off um bits of it and they'll sell that to developers and say you go and build houses over here or whatever and then we will use the proceeds of that to build the infrastructure around it um we have a system imagining sim city now (laughs) yeah Yeah. we have a system that kind of does that so but often the idea is that the developer is responsible for building this infrastructure and to be fair they often do but we now have so many um kind of competing demands so we'll often expect them to build affordable housing we'll expect them to build schools or whatever and you've kind of got to pick which ones you want to prioritize and when you've got such a desperate need for housing obviously a lot of local authorities will say we want the social housing as part of that um And then they have these kind of negotiated agreements. They're called S106 agreements, um, where as a condition of getting planning permission, you you have to build these things. But then they have these protracted negotiations with them um, that, you know, often ends up with things being negotiated down, negotiated away. Um, And it's just such a it's such a wasteful system. If you just started in the beginning with um, you can build this, but you have to give us this, you have to pay us this go yeah uh, rather than having this protracted political battle because then everything becomes a battleground um and it's it, i mean it can take years to get a permission and often because of you having these these whole lengthy arguments about who's providing what and, and when they're providing it and what conditions you have to meet and it's just not what other countries do okay but so if mm. in my area beverly where the, the house prices are reasonably high not by London standards, obviously. If people build more houses, is the value of my house going to go down? Because I'm think I'm think I might still be on the no side. <laughs> I, I, need, you... I need that. I need that value. Need I need my to precious sit on money. That value. I need, well, yeah, I just need to sit on that value. You know? Well, I mean, it depends how many houses you build, right? I'm I mean, yes. Hard it. Hard it. No, I'm joking. Yeah. I'm joking. I mean, yes. If you build more homes, then the cost of housing will decrease. But I actually think we can increase our housing supply it would be nice a, to afford a nicer house at a cheaper price of course. well that's the thing right <laughs> like you, you don't necessarily lose out if you decide you want to trade up into a larger house then yes. you benefit from lower house prices as well um so it, it's not a kind of you're going to directly lose out but i mean even then if, if we just increase housing supply to a reasonable extent the the actual impact will be not huge enough that anyone's going to be pushed into negative equity or anything by it you know it's a kind of a, just a gradual improvement of housing affordability as yeah. you would expect in any other functioning market an, yeah and it was just this is a policy that's basically if if it done right would be revolutionary and it's and it's long overdue yeah so it's probably one of the most important topics you know now and until it's bloody solved basically yeah and it's not just affordability so obviously i i come at it from a housing affordability problem i largely represent renters and and wannabe first-time buyers but that broader economic impacts are so enormous things like employment um our our construction industry because it's so cyclical um because we don't supply housing at an appropriate rate it becomes really um responsive to changes in credit supply so it can easily 
house prices can easily crash when you know there's some kind of financial issue going on as as happened in 2008 um and every time that happens and it happens every 10 15 years right there's a bit of a slump and then it goes back up builders lay off low a lot of builders will go bust often the smaller builders and they'll lay mm. off loads of people and those people never re-enter the industry they lose their jobs and they retire in their 50s Mm. Um, so it's kind of disastrous from an employment aspect to have this, mm. whereas we could have I, I, was it something like two million people are employed in construction. Could be two million more jobs, high paid, high quality jobs. Mm. Um, mm. And the other thing is that because house prices have continued to go up all of the time, um, often far above. I mean, they're, they're, it's it's not unusual and it hasn't been unusual for the past 20 years for house prices in some areas of the country to go up more than the average wage in one year. Yeah. So, well, I, I lived in a house for my first house for three years and then sold it and made, it was a bit, it was ridiculous how much there was made on it for just sitting in it for three, three years. And, it, and I did, I did, we didn't do anything to it. Like, you know, we didn't even, you know, decorate it or change the carpets or improve it in any way. So, you know, it's, it's kind of insane. We, I mean, obviously, I enjoyed the money. Yeah. Sorry, but it, checking, it, my privilege, <laughs> checking my privilege. Again. But it incentivizes Loads people. Loads of money! To... <laughs> <laughs> all right, for some. But, I mean, it incentivizes people to chuck all of their money into property, to invest mm. into property, when they could be investing in, you know, you could be investing in the stock market, putting your money, loaning your money to businesses and allowing them to expand the actual productive economy rather than just basically landlords snapping up homes and then letting it back to people at more than they bought it for. So it kind of, it really incentivizes bad investment or, or not helpful investment behavior. Um, and we've got, it, it, it's, the policies too often are the trying to make it, you know, give discounts to first time buyers, which the uh, coalition brought in, which again, I have to say that's uh, something I benefit, benefited from. But it did, it did actually lead me to rushing into buying a house and then being crippled by the mortgage for quite a few years. But, <laughs> but, but those kind of policies don't increase supply, right? So Yeah, they don't increase supply. So all they, you know, all they serve to do is inflate prices. I say all they serve to do, that's probably not totally fair. There are some people who benefit from these policies and who are able to use them to buy a home when they otherwise wouldn't be able to. Yeah. But then there are loads of people who actually could you know they could just about afford to buy a home they buy it a year or two earlier or often they just buy a slightly larger place than they were going to buy otherwise mm. um which is good for them but is that really the most productive use of you know government spending yeah um yeah. Mm. subsidizing people that are pretty much fine to be honest um give, giving them a lot of money tying government into rising house prices because yeah. um, it's an equity loan right so it means mm. the government then wants house prices to keep rising mm. um, and just kind of making the whole industry dependent on this artificial inflationary subsidy to avoid the problem of just building more homes. So uh, just to round off the, the housing chat then, um, 
So um, obviously we've, we've got this kind of uh, what like uh, supposed vendetta against NIMBYs, not in my backyard, people. Um, so if you could sit down with a NIMBY, um, Anya, what would you say to him? Or well, Ben, maybe. But maybe Ben's the NIMBY. Yeah, I'm the NIMBY. I'm enjoying the value of my house and I'm worried the houses are going to be ugly. Not in my backyard. The first thing I'd say is that we desperately, desperately need more houses. And, you know, I mean, it's reasonably likely, and unless you are living in some really old Georgian or Victorian property, that when your home was built, whoever was living there at the time wasn't happy about it and opposed it. Um, but if we listen to these people every time, we'd be living in mud huts. Um and indeed, many people are living in situations not much better than that. Uh, God, it really is just that simple, isn't it? Just say, <laughs> yeah, we do have a vendetta against him. But it's just fuck off. We need to build the houses. Um, what was that, that, that Times? Did you see the Times headline that uh, said, oh, what was the phrasing? I've forgotten because I tweeted about it, but I can't oh, remember. Oh, yes. Well, it, it basically was, uh, just said, like, the uh, threat. It calls like threat of yeah. new housing or something. That's just what? Threat of 400,000 homes <laughs> yeah. in your Oh, good God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, you know, the thing I always think to myself is if you think the 400,000 next homes are a threat. Are not the 400,000 homes that we've just built a threat? Are not the 400,000 we built before that a threat? Ultimately, is all housing a threat? Perhaps we shouldn't have housing because that's the kind of logic that that you get to. Um, and it, yeah, it's just absolutely absurd, especially the idea that homes in rural areas are a threat because we know that there are a lot of rural communities that are... Really losing all of their... They really need more homes and then, you know, more infrastructure and they need to grow. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, you have, um, you know, villages where, you know, you have entire families living in, in these particular areas and the, their children, you know, their grown-up children can no longer afford to live in the area where they want to live and they have to leave and go elsewhere. And then you have um, villages that are increasingly, because the population is ageing, because the people, you know, that bought their homes there in the 70s or whatever, no one else has been able to move there since. And then they can't find uh, staff to to run the care homes or, or they can't find people to run the shops or provide any of the services. And it's kind of, you get this situation where people are saying, oh, our, our young people can't afford to live here, our population is aging our high street is dying our new our school has shut down because there's not enough students there uh and then those same people say oh but we don't want any more houses it's just it makes absolutely no sense that's pretty comprehensive for me i've changed my mind now (laughs) (laughs) if if only it were that easy (laughs) the first thing i wanted to bring up though because we're finished with the housing thing now i think we've rounded that off now Okay. Nim- right. Nimbies, Nimbies are bastards, and we need to build more houses. <laughs> is what I got from that. Just fuck off. I think you said before. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, thank you. It was a very interesting conversation. I feel like I've learned a lot, which thank I will you. learn again when I actually listen back to back to this. So, I yeah, just want to create much. a very smooth segue into talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger now. My because, other favourite topic. <laughs> because you wrote the tweet. Uh, there was a, it was kind of a, a take on what the one of the memes that were going around. What was it? Could you remind me what it was now? Because I've forgotten. Oh, if you, you like, if you had to pick, if you were on a date, 
and someone said, what was the worst Arnold Schwarzenegger film? That would, mm. would, that would, what, which one would it be that would make you get up and leave or something? Which <laughs> was, yeah. Right. So, so I also love Arnold Schwarzenegger, and this is just a bit of a loving and appreciation now. That which, which one, which film, which film did you pick? Which is the one that would make you get up and leave? Um, I just, yeah, you know, I wouldn't leave. I'd be like, fair play. I mean, that's a stupid choice, but at least you like Alan Schwarzenegger. So, you know, that's a plus. Yeah, but it's just a meme, isn't it? The point, the point is, well, which one would you disagree junior, with? Which choice would you disagree junior, with? Junior, obviously, because... Oh, no. No, 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 no. I was and, not um, a fan of that one. No. And, uh, no, I enjoyed it. I was, but no, I was, I was going to disagree. Like, oh. Junior is good. Oh. <laughs> well, really? Most people like it. Most people like Danny it. Danny DeVito. I do like Danny DeVito a lot. Well, well, maybe I'm able to tell the world turned around on the subject now. You know, I don't know. I find it really hard to pick because uh, just because of nostalgia reasons. Because uh, my dad, you know, I was you know, brought me up on a solid staple of films I shouldn't be watching from an early age, and um, so they're all got the whole nostalgia wrapped in them anyway. Yeah, and so you know, every one of them classic for me. I just have to rewatch them all every few years. How did you come to enjoy that? Was it a childhood thing or? Um, no, it was more recent, actually. Or more normal, um, normal. Yeah, it wouldn't be a childhood thing, would it? Because that isn't really a normal thing. <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, it actually happened. Um, it was when I was in uni, I think. I, uh, I I was bored one evening and with a few mates, and we we went to a. Um, like a corner shop and they had in the kind of bargain bin a dvd of the film conan the barbarian doesn't um, belong in a bargain bin that really does it i know we watched it and it was just it was life-changing i was like this is the best thing i've ever seen um i've got to watch all of his films so yes. i i started my challenge to watch every single arnold schwarzenegger film um and i'm not actually a big film watcher so it did take me about a decade but I only finished it because of lockdown and I decided that I was just going to watch all of them. So I watched about 30 Arnold Schwarzenegger films over the <laughs> yes. last few months. Christ. And I fin- finished it off uh, a few weeks ago, a couple of months maybe. Yeah, I gave that a good run pretty early in the uh, pretty early in the lockdown. Went right through. So what so what were your findings then? Is there was there any particular highlights or lowlights? Or- yeah, um I mean the main thing is that uh, obviously, any film that contains Arnold Schwarzenegger is is fantastic. Um, some more fantastic than others. Um, but of course, with the exception of, um, of Batman and Robin, that was terrible. Oh, yeah. God, um, no. no, no, no. That was yeah. really bad. Less said about that, the better. <laughs> yeah, but I, I ranked them as well. And I kind of did it as a, you know, um, a fun thing. I was sharing my updates about what I liked about the films as I watched them. Um, and so I've got a rank now of of the best films from ah, first to excellent. 49th, which excellent. is a, an open spreadsheet that anyone can access if they <laughs> require that information. So what about the top uh, 10 then? We could have the top 10. Uh, let me open it the up. Top five. Let's go five. Okay. Uh, top five. Let's see if I can remember it off five. the top of my head. So <laughs> Matt's going to have to limit this because this is... <laughs> well, it's just good. we can talk about five for ages. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. So the number one best film, in my opinion, is Terminator 2's uh, Judgment Day. Well, Fantastic I mean, film. Yeah, it's fair enough, isn't it? Because it's can't perfect. go wrong, really. Absolutely perfect. Um, perfect. Can I guess? Can I can I guess? Wait a second. Second Predator. Yeah. Predator, oh, second yeah. place. 
fucking Perfect. brilliant film. Oh, God. Third, third. Third place. Mm. Mm. Oh, I know. Total Recall. Total Recall? It's not, no. Come, oh, Although Commando. many people disagreed with me for my for my choice here. It's not Commando, no. Running Man? Conan the Barbarian. Conan the Barbarian, oh, correct. Yeah, do you know what? Yes, yes, yes. I should have got that because nostalgic value. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fourth place. Fourth place is another one that many people disagreed with, but I will defend this one to the death. It's absolutely hilarious. Uh oh, that's going to be left field, isn't it? Wait a second. Jingle all the way. Yes. <laughs> hey, it, I, went, I watched it. Watched it with. I watched it with my kid at Christmas, and I reevaluated it. It's like this is all right. I mean, it is oh, those of Christmas films are you know basically a bit naff, and it is very naff. But oh yeah, totally stick that on at Christmas. <laughs> absolutely, that'll be. It's going got back some fantastic lines. You know, put the cookie down. Yeah, I mean, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm on top okay. five for. Anyway. Uh, fifth. Where's well, fifth? Um, I mean, Terminator? No. No. Ooh, oh, okay. Terminator's Ooh. number six. I mean, there's Kindergarten Cop. Uh, no. Where's that? That's 11th. Uh, <laughs> True mm-hmm. Lies? True Lies is ninth. Whoa, oh, God. Oh, okay. Maybe you just should tell us. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Last Action Hero. Oh, well, I've forgotten. I've forgotten about that film, yeah. That's a very, very good one. I like that because it's got two Arnold Schwarzeneggers in. Wow, I think, I think, I didn't think it's possible, but this is the first time I've met someone someone who's even bigger fun than me. Yeah, I was hoping that when I finally completed my mission that he would invite me to the premiere of his next film, which should be coming out at some point soon. But he has yet to respond to any of my repeated tweets. Oh, it's a shame. Oh, dear. I mean, that is disappointing. Um, I did have one one thing I wanted to ask Ben about actually because I interrupted you very rudely, didn't I, in the last podcast at the beginning, and you were about to, you, you you led in by saying, "Yeah, I asked you how you were," and you were like, "Yeah, I'm alright. I've just hurt myself quite a lot," and I was like, oh, no, "Don't talk about that now. Let's just let Madeline talk." But I mean, actually, you you had to go at me afterwards because you said there was a good story there. Well, it, I'm always, just... always interested in you hurting yourself. So. Another, other... <laughs> just another example of. Um... <laughs> Very, very... Do you know if you put in a children's book of things they just shouldn't do? Because I knew the thing about me is that, that most people I know well would probably agree that I'd reasonably intelligent. But I'm also a complete moron in a very, like, Homer Simpson-ish, just idiotic parts of my brain don't work properly with. So, anyway, I found a, a book of mine, a, a big Air Force-sized book, that had a lot of um, old fiction ideas and uh, attempts at writing fiction, and they were so dreadful that I just thought, I don't want to keep hold of these. If everyone ever wants to start trying to do that again, I don't want to get that. So I was just going to throw it away in the bin. But for some reason, because I'm a bit strange in the head, I decided, actually, I'm going to ritualistically burn them in my, in my chimney. Now, paper is actually quite difficult to burn, you, you know, just with a lighter or even, you know, so... I thought, well, I'm just going <laughs> to put some flammable fluid on it and put I put lighter fluid on it and lit it and it exploded into a big fireball and uh, it took burnt me off quite a bit of my fringe and my uh, my eyelashes <laughs> my eyelashes are growing back a bit of my eyebrows and my right hand peel, had to peel off a little bit so oh, there wow. you go nice. just a helpful safety warning uh, this is why I need looking after you see 
mm. you know, because I can't be trusted. On my but own. W- was if it I fun? <laughs> it was quite fun actually, because yeah. when it was happening, also while, even when it exploded, I was laughing a lot. It was reminding me of scenes. <laughs> I was, it was just I, I do make myself laugh because it's just wow. Now I can obviously see how remarkably stupid that was. That's really funny that I just did that. <laughs> What's going on in with you? Yeah, so I did. I did. It was. It was quite fun, and no harm done, really, apart from some very minor burns and singeing. Did, did you have the the smell? The smell of burnt hair. That it was. That was the funniest thing actually, because I came in and told my wife Joanne, and I did just smell burnt, and because I was wearing a um, like a zip up, like a. Well, jumper basically, and that was kind of all singed as well, so it smelled a bit like you know burnt hair as well. So I just smelled like a yeah, burning man. Yeah, so that was the story. Just another story of my stupidity, basically. Excellent. <laughs> I uh, I actually electrocuted myself the other week on on household mishaps. We bought this new lamp, and I wanted to know whether it was um, you know like one of the screw ones or the bayonet um, bulbs that go into it. I'd forgotten that I'd plugged it in and it was obviously on. And I decided to, the way to check whether it was a screw or a bayonet was to shove my finger. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, then I could just feel whether it was a screw. And she's like, fuck! It's like, <laughs> got big blisters on my end of my little finger. Do you Fucking have any equivalent stories? Are we just idiotic men, child? <laughs> you know, We're we a bit odd uh... people. Oh, that's enough. Don't... That's enough. It's getting awkward now. Uh, I, myself. I fell over yesterday. That was fun. Oh, interesting. I, I tripped on a pothole and I did this really extended, you know, when you're kind of like stumbling and trying to save yourself. And I pr- pretty much ran oh, across no. the entire road before landing. Bloody oh, potholes, no. there's another problem. Yeah. That sounds really embarrassing. It, it was really say. embarrassing. It was, um, <laughs> mortifying, Just, in fact. Yeah. As embarrassing as explaining <laughs> why I set my face on fire. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, don't worry, I'll be getting diagnosed. Right, um, I haven't got anything else left to say, Matt. <laughs> Just... uh, no, 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 but I think we should round up. Just say thank you again, Anya, very much. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's fast, fascinating talking to you. and Just a uh, pleasure to meet you. Likewise. And thank you for giving us your time. Yeah, thank you very much. That was really brilliant. And I just want to say as well, this podcast and the less few that I've actually listened to, I objectively thought were brilliant. So if you think that, you should be reviewing reviewing it and listening to it. Come on. More people need to be going on there saying this is a good podcast because it is. So there. Yeah, I'm just going to say that. Don't say it very often, but, it, you know, there's some quality output here. Catch up. Follow unless us. Unless you're a NIMBY in which yeah, case. Yeah, unless you're a NIMBY. Fuck off. Fuck off. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> follow us at at UnravelPod, and uh, we should have another one in two weeks on the subject of something. Or other. <laughs>